morning, Rock Bible Church. Okay, so there you go. I want to make sure I got through uh, that stuff this morning before we jump in and continue in our series in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be chapter 4 this morning. Um, we've been uh, looking at this story, and uh, Brent and I have been having a little fun and turned it into a little bit of a searching thing, right? Uh, finding God's, God's priorities, finding God's path. This week is finding God's place. Uh, because we're going to see, uh, a, it's almost a story without God, kind of. Um, there's interesting passages in Scripture where uh, a passage goes for a long time and there's just very little mention of God. How do those passages go? Poorly for them. <laughs> it's a good lesson for us. So I want to warn you, there's a little bit of Bummer Sunday in the story but it's happy Sunday for us because we're going to take some things because we want to find where is God's place. And we believe that God has a place today. Amen? Uh, he had a place then. They failed to find it. So we're going to look at how they failed in that, and then we're going to talk at the end a little bit about uh, how do we find his place today and what's the priority in, in doing that. So uh, let's jump in, and uh, we'll pray first. All right, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our students and the leaders off doing retreat. And I trust, as we prayed with them before they drove out, that this would be a weekend with you. Uh, collectively, for sure, but more importantly, individually, that uh, each of them would find a way to connect with you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, same thing would happen here this morning, uh, every Sunday, in our small groups, uh, in the different areas that, that we try to pursue you, we, we trust, we beg that you would come and connect with us and show us how to do it better and better. We want to know your place in our lives, Lord. And so I thank you for all this. Be with this passage. Bless it. Guide it through your spirit. And uh, may we all go out of here challenged, blessed in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Samuel is the son of Hannah. Hannah couldn't have kids or thought she couldn't. Uh, went to the temple, prayed. Eli was there, thought she was just some drunk lady. They had this little a conversation slash explanation of why she was there. And no, I'm not drunk. I'm just distraught because I can't have a kid. And Eli listened and she prayed and he blessed her. And boom, all of a sudden, here comes the baby boy. And she says, ooh. Maybe this God thing works. Um, it's important for us to remember that so far in this story, uh, the person with the most faith is actually Hannah the mom. Samuel's on a path. Uh, in fact, we talked about finding God's path because we start kind of on our own path. Samuel's figuring out that path and how to walk it. Hannah already figured it out. And then she set an example for her son. She named Samuel, sends him off to the priesthood uh, temple and he's kind of an apprentice um, it says that he's starting to minister to the Lord and he makes a prediction because God comes to him in the middle of the night and says Samuel and he thinks it's Eli he keeps running to Eli what do you want he said I didn't call you three times finally Eli says look I think God's trying to talk to you say uh, speak Lord your servant is listening and God says hey here's what's going to happen uh, bad news for Eli especially for his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, worse than just having those as names. Uh, but yeah, it's going to happen. I'm going to fulfill my condemnation for their lack of obedience. Well, he wakes up the next morning and Eli says, what did God say? He said, I don't want to tell you. He says, you better tell me. So he says this whole thing and Eli, his response is kind of like, well, he's God. So let's see how this plays out. Uh, doesn't deny it, doesn't like it, but kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen? All right. So we've we've got this kind of setup for who Samuel is, and he's he's becoming somewhat of a priest. He's loosely connected to God. He's trying. He's listening, and he's he started. Okay. Now, um, if I asked everybody to raise their hand, if you're in that same boat, you would all raise your hand. We're all learning. We're all starting that connectivity with God. We're trying to figure it out, all right? So we, we connect with Samuel. Um, I'm hoping that we are disconnected from the people in the story uh, because they're disconnected from God. And that's what we're going to see. 
So there's long setup. Let's start reading. First uh, Samuel chapter four, verse one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to wait. Wait a minute. We we're just talking about Samuel and that the his word came out to all Israel. What was that? Well, it was this the prediction of the vision that he got from God in the night when God came and spoke to him. And that means Israel knows what's been said. They also know someone is talking to God. And they know it's Samuel. This should be great news. Right? If you knew somebody had a direct line, remember the bat phone? If you knew somebody had a bat phone to God, right? Does any, do we know what the bat phone was? Yeah. Okay, all right. I just, I mean, I know I'm old, but um, wouldn't you find that person and say, hey, I got like 50 questions and then I got 50 more. Can, I, I want to talk to them too, right? How, how popular should, should Samuel be right now? Kayla, you could stay. We love the sound. Seriously, love her. Um, The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Is it really Samuel's word? No, it's God's. But we saw last week, if you didn't catch a podcast or weren't here, um, uh, Samuel is becoming, rather than just priest, he's becoming priest and prophet. He's starting to fill two roles. And we explained, uh, I think it was last week, the, the glory of that is that we're, we're pushing in a direction where one entity could actually do three roles, prophet, priest, and king. We've got to show you that two can do it before we can believe that three can do it. And who's going to be the one who finally fulfills the three in one? Right. This is the, like the first best combo meal. Right. Um, but we have this word of Samuel that came to Israel. And so... There's a piece that, a big piece that's missing here, I think. What should say next is, and Israel came to Samuel. Or Israel inquired of God through Samuel. There, there should be this like epiphany. You know, Scott just got a billion dollars. Everybody should show up or we're going to spend it all, right? No, Scott got a billion dollars. You didn't even call me? You don't want one dinner out of the deal? I, I mean, I could get you a Tesla probably, right? There's this lack of connect. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Very matter-of-fact statement. Except we're reading in a very specific genre, the Bible. Anytime Israel has gone out to battle against anyone... Why? Pretty much all the previous ones, they're running with their tail tucked between their legs, hiding, taking off. They don't want to fight anybody. The times that they've fought prior to this, God has <laughs> picked them up from under the chair. Hey, quit hiding down there. Come here. Now you're going to go over there. Now I know you only got 300 and they got however many thousand, but you're going to go fight them, right? Who initiates war for Israel? God. Who's missing from this sentence? Now Israel went out to battle against Philistines. There's no word from God or whatever. It doesn't say that's what Samuel said to do. It said the word of Samuel came to all Israel. I believe that's a reference to the previous chapter of what's going on. And that should have got their attention to say, what do we do, God, about this Philistine problem? Instead... They're taking it in their own hands. Yes? Okay, you're with me on that one. Now, good news, none of you have that problem. You never take things in your own hands. You just always go to the Lord, first thing, ask his uh, permission, direction, definition, forgiveness. No? Oh, so you're all like me. Yeah, stick your foot in your mouth, trip over stuff, run into a wall, or on your phone and bang, hit a pole, right? That's a lot of times our relationship with the Lord. This is what Israel's doing right now. Now, this is going to go poorly, yes? They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Ephek. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated. 
before the Philistines? I know this is a really hard question. Why were they defeated? No, God didn't ask him, no permission, no direction. Insert God answer there, right? This is what's supposed to happen. Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Big loss? Yeah, you would think. And when the people came to the camp, the elders, you know, this is interesting. You know the elders are almost never spoken of well in Scripture? You know, in our culture, we think of the elder board or the elders or the board, and we're like, oh, yeah, this is make decisions, good people, blah, 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 and whole thing. Careful. <laughs> Most every story in Scripture, it's like they stumble, right? The best elders are humble. Amen? Elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That's a great question. Does he give, do they give credit to the Philistines? And he says, the Lord defeated them, right? That would make sense. So they've, they've finally got onto the correct foot. But here's where they go with it. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Previous to this, anytime you go into battle, God would say, take the Ark of the Covenant. Right? The remnants of the Ten Commandments. This is the closest thing you have to my presence. And by the way, put it in the front of the army when you go in because otherwise you'll lose. You put it in the back, who gets credit for the war? People in the front. They figured it out. Oh, we went to war without the ark. That was the problem. We forgot our little idol. What's the sarcasm pointing at? They think if they bring the ark, they're okay. But the ark isn't the deal, right? If you go to church, are you going to be all right? No. Most of you know that because we all go to church and none of us are all right, right? We're all in our struggle. What's, what's the point of going to church? Set it in the prayer. Connect with God. Connect with others. Love God. Love your neighbor. Some call it fellowship. Some call it worship, right? But God's the key piece. Could you go to church and miss God? Yes. People do it all the time. In fact, some surveys say 50% of people attending church have yet to make a commitment to Christ. Ooh, it's hunting season, <laughs> right? There's still work to be done. Um, they've, they've lost this, they have a disconnect. Hey, why'd the Lord defeat us before the Philistines? Oh, we forgot the ark. No, you forgot God. Now, that I've set this up, how do you think this is going to go? It's going to get better or get worse? I mean, at least they're going to bring the ark this time, right? Okay. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who's enthroned on the cherubim. It's a great little thing that happens here. Samuel's not writing this, right? These Israelites are not writing this. Somebody later wrote this down, and when they wrote it, they write, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. Is that a big old title? Does that sound like reverent and worship? Absolutely. See, the writer has given us a hint of what this is supposed to represent, God himself, but the people missed it. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, <laughs> next slide, <laughs> were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Ooh, you've left God out, and you put the two people he's really most mad at in the front. <laughs> well, this is a setup. Soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Who? 
They're screaming and hooting and hollering. Why? Wait, you, they're going to win now? Are you saying that they're celebrating before the victory? Oh, you ever, you ever seen a, an, an athlete in a, in, a, in a contest and they're about to score and they think that it's in the clear and so they kind of slow down and start dancing or do a backflip or whatever and then somebody knocks the ball away or they break their ankle because of the backflip and then all of a sudden they don't score. and That's what's going on here. Um, if we could, let me, let me show you a couple things. Let's go back a slide, if you guys could, in the, in the booth there. Um, let us, a second line, right side. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that, what's that next two-letter word? That it, this would happen when you sit in the front row, folks. We got the wrong two-letter word here. I've been making a case for about 12 years that some of the most powerful words in Scripture are the smallest ones. That should say he with a capital H instead of it, lowercase. Herein lies the problem, right? Okay, go forward uh, one more slide back to where our progress is. And the Ark of, uh, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, as soon as the Ark entered uh, the camp, uh, they start partying as if they've won. They've started the celebration, right? Have they missed the point twice here? Yeah, let's see where the third one comes. Uh, so that the earth resounded, verse six, and when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Uh, by the way, one of the first times we see the word Hebrews in the Bible, random fact but I have to do those for Bryce Mackin because he loves random facts, okay? Um, what's it mean? Uh, when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, verse seven, the Philistines were, what? Ooh. They're afraid of a box? Watch how the Philistines get it right. After Israel's gotten it wrong. For they said, a God has come into camp. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say it. It says he there. Right? Uh, not a box has come into camp. Not an ark has come into camp. Not their idol. Not their thing of worship. Not their weapon. A God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for nothing like this has happened before Woe to us, who can deliver us? They were crying like that, right? That's thematic. God made that happen, by the way. Uh, woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? Now, is their theology a little bit off because they said plural rather than singular? Yes, but are they, are they basically correct? They know what to fear. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. What did we just confirm? The Philistines know Israel's history. They've heard the witness. They know the story of what God did in the Exodus. And they believe in that God. Not for their own salvation, but they believe in his existence, what he's capable of. Um, I would argue more so than those Israelites did. Who can deliver us from these mighty gods? See what they did to Egypt? Verse 9, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Did they start, um, you know, Israel started celebrating before the war even happened? Did they start pouting and crying and gazing at their navels because, well, we're going to lose? Right? They get it right. Said, let's do what we're supposed to do. Be men and fight. It's probably what Israel should have said after they referenced God first. Maybe God would have said, no, we're not going to fight the Philistines right now. But verse 10, so the Philistines fought and Israel was 
defeated and they fled every man to his home. That means they were scattered, which is terrible for a battle plan, right? Uh, there was a very great slaughter of 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel. The ark of God was victorious. No, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, dead. Um, does God keep his promises? Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, they took things into their own hands and it didn't go well. Instead of learning their lesson, they said, well, we'll just do it harder, faster, stronger. And did it get even worse? Yeah, more than sevenfold, right? Sevenfold, is, it's more than sevenfold. Seven is like a, like a Bible number. It's an important, like if you get to seven, that's perfect. Six, not good. In fact, if you have three sixes, that's incomplete, incomplete, and incomplete because you're missing perfection. That's why you want seven, 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 not six, six, six. 4,000 times seven is, where's G. McGrogan? 28, but this is 30. So it's even more than sevenfold, right? By the way, that's about as far as we go with numerology and scripture, amen? Okay, we just wanna make those kind of things and move on because we're not gonna read into it too much. Ark of God was captured. What's the problem there? Ark of God was the, was the presence of God for them, right? They didn't have a temple. Where does God exist? with his commandment, with his word, his people. So says you take the ark with you, not because it's powerful, but because it shows that I'm powerful and you're listening to me. Oh, if you're not listening, then it doesn't matter where my ark is. Now, is God in trouble? Say no. His ark can be wherever it wants, right? And it's not a good thing when other people get the ark. Watch Raiders of the Lost, right? Um, and then Hophni and Phinehas are no more. So let's see what happens. Uh, verse 12, we're going to change stories. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. By the way, pretty much any time Judah or Benjamin men from those tribes are mentioned, it's a good story. If it's any of the other 10 tribes, it's usually a bad story. Just a little thematic thing. There are exceptions to it, but in general, when you read scripture, this is true. Um, this guy from Benjamin supposedly a good guy, uh, came to Shiloh the same day, his clothes torn, dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Ark of God has left Shiloh and gone out to war, and Eli's really worried about it. Because what did Eli hear before that Samuel told him because God gave him a vision? You're in trouble, buddy. No priests used to sit out by the road because that's where you'd connect with people. And when the man came into the city, he told the news. And all the city cried out. Shouldn't that read? And when he came to the city, he went to Eli and told him, he's sitting in the road. It's almost as if he bypasses Eli, tells the whole town, and now he's going to come back to Eli. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, that's a, probably a wisdom statement rather than just are you blind? Because uh, that's a thematic thing that scripture does as well. Um, man said, Eli, uh, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there are also have been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Ooh, sorry, Dad. And the Ark of the Covenant of God has been captured. Watch this. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, not the boys, not Hophni and Phinehas, 
Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For he was old and fat. I know it says heavy there, but it's not, right? We lose things in translation because even translators try to be politically correct, right? Um, he had judged Israel 40 years. Now that's a, that's a culminating statement. When they say, and he judged this many years, um, we, we hearken back to the book of Judges when they talk about a person. And when their story's over, kaput, that's it. There would be that little phrase. And he, he ruled Israel 12 years, 36 years, whatever. Um, 40 years. Kind of a perfect number. Here's the f- word 40 before. Yeah. 40 days. 40 days of what? Ooh, 40 days and nights. Rain. Flooding went way beyond that, by the way. Uh, Jesus went into the wilderness. Tempted. 40 days. It's just a completeness statement, right? What, what's been completed here? Uh, you got to rule Israel for 40 years, but man, you ended wrong. Well, that's over. It's kind of putting a stamp on it. We're not really sure we like the stamp. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God uh, was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her, put her into labor. She was so distraught. About the time of her death, the women attended her, said to her, do not be afraid. By the way, is she going to live through this? Yeah, she's going to die during birth, right? Do not be afraid, for you have born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Or Ichabod, no glory. Remember that story of Ichabod Crane? It's not a good story. There's no glory. That's maybe help you remember it. Okay, because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Hmm. She get this right? Y'all wanted to say no, right? Most all of you wanted to say no, right? Why, though? Has the glory departed from Israel? Anybody, could you find Israel today? You know, the only only ones that's as close, you know, God's, we say God's undefeated, right? You know, the only entity that has a record almost close to undefeated? Israel. How many countries have tried to wipe them out? They're still here make a joke there, but I'm not going to. Um, does she think the glory's departed? Yes. Yeah. Now watch this. If the glory had departed, would it be because the ark of God had been captured or because the people had turned from God prior to that? She's off just a little bit. She gets the truck all the way there, but it's missing something. Right, um, which I think is why she passes in the childbearing. Right, everybody who gets it wrong, gone. Eli, Hophnius, Phineas, daughter-in-law. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen. <laughs> Wait, Scott, can we go positive with this somehow? <laughs> yes, we can. Let's wake the computer up. Um, how do we find God's place in this? How do we? Figure it out. Get out your outlines and look on there. It says, uh, 1 Samuel 4, finding God's place. And then um, I gave you as a reading verse kind of thematic for, you know, we do that every week. I give you an outline and sometimes we reference it. I want to make sure we reference it this morning. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Did the Lord defeat them or did they defeat themselves? We're at Rock Bible Church. I just gave you two choices. The answer is both, right? It wasn't God, but 
they kind of defeated themselves, right? Let us bring the ark of the covenant to the Lord from Shiloh. The ark leaves Shiloh. When does it go back? The ark never returns to Shiloh. People make a bad decision. You want to get disconnected from God, and God says, oh, you want me to leave? Careful what you ask for. Leaves, and the ark never comes back to Shiloh. Now, there's some good reasons for that. Ends up in the temple. Amen? Right? That's good. Um, but that it, and that's where we made that big thing about it. It says it and should say he, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Um, this is us not find, them not finding a place for God, removing God from the equation. And I want us to figure out how, how is it that we approach this. And uh, the first one is this. They failed to, re- to recognize the relationship that they had with the Lord. They're just simply looking for the results. We just want to win the battle. In fact, we want to go fight with the Philistines. Really? What, you want a result? For, you want to take a course of action? Have you consulted with God with this at all? Um, what, if, what if you had a good relationship with the Philistines? What if you had some negotiations or something? They failed to recognize the relationship over results. So what are we going to do? We're going to recognize the relationships around us. Very first sentence. Right? See, at the very bottom in the, in the yellowish, greenish. We're not going to argue about what color that is, by the way. It says three and four, where they fail to recognize something, right? Because of one, verse one, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. They had God's chosen mouthpiece revealed. And they said, ah, let's go do this other thing. Like, no. God just worked through Samuel. You got a bat phone. You want to go play with the Riddler? No. Call Batman. They don't do it. Right? Um, had a little fun with this this week. and Came up with little explanation sentences for these bullet points, right? Acknowledging God first feels backwards when pursuing a goal, and yet he is the only key to the goal. Acknowledging God first feels backwards when pursuing a goal, and yet he is the only key to the goal. He's, is he a key? The only key, right? This is me trying to learn how to speak biblically and use important small words. Well, if I get my wife's permission, you know, I got a hall pass, so must be okay. Guys, is that always true? No. Well, my husband, uh, he's just so out of it, he doesn't get it, and he's just clueless. Mm. Yes, Yes. but what's your point, right? Um, We think that if we can manipulate, get the right person, pursue the correct thing, or have our way, or how about this one? If we can simply understand it, then we're good. I hardest one for me in my relationship with the Lord is when I have to go on a course of action that is yet to make sense and I have to take it on faith and the mystery of how it'll turn out and who will be with me during or at the end of it. Those are the hardest ones for me. Because what do I what do I have when I go to get up and pursue? All I have is to get up and pursue. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Ooh. So we only recognize relationship over results. Is this true about God? Does he do this? Does he recognize relationship over results? I mean, results seem to be less important to him at times. I mean, he just lets people die. There's stories where he lets people die. Or they get sick. Or it doesn't go the way, like, they lost 4,000. 
dudes. Then they lost 30,000. That's 34,000 dudes. The result is not what he's in for. According to the way we look at results. Is he absolutely into results all the time at the same time? Yes. How does that make sense to you, Scott? Because what are the results that he's looking for? Connectedness with his people. And if I have to do drastic things to get your attention so you can recognize the relationship, let me see, what's the most drastic thing I could do? Ah, I could take human form, walk to earth, teach everyone, do miracles out the ears, still be rejected, and go to the cross. Tempted in every way without sin, tortured, and then watch what I can do. Three days later, bam, back on the scene. You can't stop me. You can't even hope to contain me. Love that. He's trying to pursue a relationship with us. Great metric when you're choosing, like, what do I do next? Will it be relational? And how? With who? That's like three metrics, Scott. Yeah, getting your Sunday extra today. Freebie. How will it be relational? Or, the other side, which dead bodies will you leave on the road behind you? Right? Who are you going to hurt? Great question. I've done this with my kids. Praise the Lord they're not here. We can talk about them. We come out of something, and I go, what, what were you thinking? We'll do this. That's how they talk, by the way. Um, you acted like you're the most important person in the room, and look what you did to them. Coach and I had a, a thing a few nights, a couple weeks ago, uh, at a game where somebody yelled something for the whole stadium. The whole school could hear. And it sounded like one thing. But what it really did is it crushed one of the other people in the program. What are you doing to them? You know? Now, here's a confession. I have done that to my kids. And I hate it. That sometimes I do things that crush them because I'm pursuing a goal or I have to be the father, I have to teach them the right way, I have to lead them. And they'll raise them up in the Lord. Yes, but how you do that is relational. Be careful. In so many ways, I wish I could go back and take a second shot at some of the, those things. And then in other ways, I praise the Lord that I can't go back and have to do it again. Amen for that? All right, so let's recognize the relationships over the results. And then number two, resist replacing representation for real. Scott, you got a little excited about our words this week, didn't you? Yeah. Um, what was the representation? It was the ark. There was another representation. Let's go to war. Like we can win. Um, they replaced it for the real. They could have talked to Samuel, who'd already given them information that they were about to lose some things. You're jinxed, guys. We're jinxed? Cool, let's go to war. <laughs> and the logic's so backwards. And yet, they had the real right in front of them. You have the real right in front of you? You do? The Bible talks about God as if um, in the dark, crawling on your knees, if you tried to crawl towards him before you could move your hand, you'd bump into his leg. She agrees, right? Um, we got to avoid shortcuts, substitutions, and excuse. Oh, sorry. Avoiding shortcut, substitution, and excuse preserves your connection with him. Well, I would have, but, or it should have been, but, um, you know, once we... Then we'll, hmm, at some point, just say, look, uh, I know real is here, 
I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to cost me. I know i got to schedule it every week at 7 o'clock on Mondays. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But what does it do for you? What does a real pursuit of God do for you? And what will the result then be? Because we can replace with substitutes and then justify it. It's like living on combo meals from fast food. Yeah, I recently figured this out. If you eat actual food, you're healthier. It's like an amazing epiphany, right? Water. It's real. Now, I can go to the store and I can buy all kind of canned and bottled and can, uh, stuff that's processed somehow. And today. You know what's better for me than any of those things? Water. You know when I cut the fakes out, you know what starts to taste better? What? Gentlemen, cut all the women out of your life, and who will taste better? Your wife. Ooh, did we just go men's group a little bit? <gasps> okay, stop right now. Right? We got to watch um, our connectivity, and the more we can be self-aware about where do we stand with God, and how's it real, then we know where to go. Well, what do you mean where, where to go? How do I know where to go just because I know I'm a little disconnected? Just go in that general direction, right? When you got in the car this morning to go to church, you left your house and you, you kind of went towards the church. Now, when you were driving for 20 seconds, did you arrive at church? Say no. But you were headed that direction. You're headed in the right direction. I got my Bible out and I started reading. It didn't make any sense to me and I didn't know where to read. Yeah, but did you get your Bible out? Yeah. Did you read something? Yeah. What direction were you headed? The right one. Yeah, but I don't have any answers yet. Mm, wrong. You have more answers than you know. You're just looking at it. Half-baked. All right? So, uh... By the way, too, when you, when you replace the real with a representation, um, you compromise the relationship. When you go half, when you cheat, when you cut a corner, um, when you skip, whatever it is, which relationship did that compromise? Thirdly, last, Re reach for real resources. Reach for real resources. Um, this is how Eli, Phineas, and Hophni got in trouble. This is how the daughter-in-law got in trouble. Okay. But um, rather than go through all the, like, I'll just name them off really quickly, right? Was Samuel a real resource that they could have reached for? Yeah. Did they have a high priest at the time named Eli sitting on his fat can back in camp rather than going out to war. Could they have talked to God? Could they have gone to the synagogue or the high place or whatever? They could have done all these things. Could they just change the way they form their sentences to put God as the credit getter rather than, well, if it and, you know, the power of our enemies and blah, blah, blah. They, they could have taken a Philistine approach and been better. There's real resources out there. Um, by the way, are, are all of them Christian? There's resources for you out there that are pre-Christian. Ooh, what did I just do? I just like somehow sucked you into evangelism somehow, didn't I? Yeah, maybe your interaction with them gives them interaction with God, gives them an interaction with a Christian. Maybe they have a talent or gift given by God, which he created them, and so it must be, that could benefit or bless you. Maybe God's orchestrating that connection, bringing together, right? Actualizing him, what's that? What's actualizing him? 
having a real interaction with him, right? And his provision. Does God come empty-handed ever? Love that. When he shows up, he shows up with stuff, right? It's the Hebrew term for it. Um, actualizing him and his provision honors him and his plan. When you honor him, you know what you're, you know what you're doing? You're worshiping him. My kids, when my kids listen, it's like the most amazing thing. Why is that, Scott? Because it's so seldom? Yes, correct. <laughs> no, like we, we go over something and they, and they don't listen. And it's like, it's so frustrating because it's like I want to help them. Well, he's not here. So um, two and a half hours on the phone trying to walk him through changing the battery in the Suburban. What a glorious time. He's a state away. 27 degrees outside. Two and a half hours on the phone. How are you going to get to the auto parts store? Oh, you got to call AAA, huh? Okay. We get through that. Get to the auto. Don't turn it off. They may not have the battery. Oh, okay. Go inside, blah, blah, blah. And we go through all these steps. Now, was it painful for him? Yes. Was it glorious for me? Absolutely. Why? He was finally listening. I told him in September, August, hey, when you get up to school, drive the car once a week. Really? Why? How is it all of you know this? And he whose name will remain anonymous to protect the identity of the guilty is yet to know that. Comes back for Thanksgiving. What'd I tell him? Comes back for uh, Christmas. What'd I tell him? His grandmother's funeral in this room. I sent him back in the airplane and said, hey, glad you got to come back for this and help us celebrate grandma, but make sure you... What did he not do? He calls me a couple weeks later. Uh, Dad, you were right. <laughs> Two and a half hour phone call. It's glorious. Had to make him go inside and buy tools. Then go out and take the battery out. Then take the battery back inside. Exchange it. Come back outside. Use the tool. We're FaceTime. I was laughing so hard and trying not to let he sure he knows. And he never watches the YouTube, so he'll never find out about this. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Who are we talking about, really? This book is the book of Samuel. Hannah prays for a child gets a child, and names him Shemuel. Shemuel. Hears God. Now there's some who would argue, no, he was named Shemuel. Name of God. Man, we have a quandary now. Is he named God Hears or Name of God? Hmm, it's Hebrew. There's two options. Could there be double meaning? Could it be both? The Lord heard my prayer. That's why I have a son. For the Lord to hear a prayer, what she have to do? Pray. She knew his place. She knew his name. And it might be because in that culture, when you know somebody's name, you know them. Could have named him. <gasps> I know the name of God. Because I prayed to him, I got a child that I never would have got. I actually know this God now. So, which name is it? It's both. 
Why is that important for you? You can have the same both, can't you? You can have the same both. You can know God, and he can hear you. What's the only prerequisite? You got to seek, pursue, initiate, pray. You have to know his place. Give you three different ways to think about it and pursue it. Amen? Have you done that yet? Have you said, ah, okay, God, me and you, mostly you. Great thing to say to him. I want to start driving the car, God, every week. I want to make sure this thing doesn't die. See, we took that analogy and just... Let's pray. Lord, thanks that uh, we have a shot. We have connection. We have relationship. Thank you so much for how consistent your word in, in so many different ways to draw us to what is important. I pray, Lord, you would, you would continue to show us new, unique, specific to us. We thank you for Samuel. We thank you for this story and what we get to learn from it. May we learn from it, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you want to, need to start that, tell him. God, you and I, I want your place in my life. Thank you, Lord, for the offerings that we get to receive every week. And thank you for the opportunity we have to honor you and worship you. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Drive the car. Amen. Go with him. <laughs>